grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at this church. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Happy Easter! That's true, friends. It is right. It is still Eastertide, this wonderful season in the life of the church that goes all the way from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday, where we rejoice in the good news for 50 days that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the best time, friends, because we know how the story ends. Uh, throughout this season of Eastertide, I've been encouraging everyone who worships with us to think about how we can continue to celebrate this good news. We've talked about um, eating really, really good food. We've talked about making sure we're listening to really, really good music. Think about anything you can do this week to continue to celebrate. Treat this time of Easter as, as like a, a long time party. Figure out ways to celebrate so that we can carry that sort of joyful spirit with us throughout the rest of the church year as well. There are a lot of things going on in the life of our church. You can uh, read about them on our church website or on our Facebook page. We're continuing to offer Lot, uh, Sunday morning worship as we are now, and we're starting a set of dates for more drive-in worship services that will be happening. We're recording Facebook Live videos, sending out email devotionals. If you'd like to check any of that out, you can through our church website or our church Facebook page. There's a bulletin, an online bulletin for our service this morning. You can access it through one of the links in the video description. That bulletin will have our hymn, prayers, our scripture, all that kind of good, important information. Uh, one of the things you're going to hear me say in the sermon today is that today, this fourth Sunday after Easter, or the fourth Sunday in Eastertide, is traditionally called Good Shepherd Sunday because across the world, if, if churches follow the Revised Common Lectionary, they're going to read about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. It's part of our lectionary cycle. I love thinking about Jesus as the Good Shepherd and kind of images and motifs that come from thinking about that. In my first church, uh, behind the altar area, there was a giant stained glass window of Jesus as the Good Shepherd uh, holding um, sheep over his shoulders. And it was such a comforting image for me to think about as a pastor that, um, that Jesus the Good Shepherd was always there shepherding us in everything that we were doing. I'll never forget that in my first week of that appointment, I had just graduated from seminary. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I arrived and some people from the church said, hey, you need to go meet this lady. So I went to go meet her and she had not uh, attended. She had been a longtime member of the church, but she had gone for like almost two decades without attending and had recently come back to the church. And so church members thought it would be important for me to talk to her about why that was the case. And so I met with her and we sat down and we talked and, and I said, hey, you know, everyone has kind of told me the story, but I don't really know the story that you were a part of this church and then you left and then you came back and I, I'm curious to know more. And she said that, you know, like 20 years before, she got in a fight, an argument with whoever the pastor was at the time. And she just said, I'm never coming back. And she tried out a couple other churches, but they never really felt right. So she just stopped attending church altogether. And that went on for nearly 20 years until someone she loved from the church died. And she felt like she had to go to the funeral. It was the first time she'd stepped foot in the sanctuary in something like 20 years and she said that she sat down and she looked up and she saw that stained glass of Jesus as the good shepherd. And she realized she had made a horrible mistake. She told me, it doesn't matter who the pastor of the church is because Jesus is my good shepherd. So whoever is up in the pulpit, it doesn't make a difference. As long as they're pointing to Jesus, who is my good shepherd, then I'm exactly where I need to be. And I share that story because it obviously has to do with the good shepherd, but also because thinking about pastors and pastoral appointments is 
it's kind of unique to Methodism that we tend to move around at, at a far higher frequency than churches, let's say, like Presbyterian churches or, or Baptist churches. Well, last week after the worship service, we announced through our email and our, uh, on our Facebook page that uh, the Bishop of Virginia Sharma Lewis has decided and discerned who to project as the next pastor here at Cooksbury. So I'm going to now turn it over to Bob Kacherik. He is the chair of our staff parish relations committee to make the announcement about who the next pastor of Cokesbury will be beginning July 1st. Greetings, members and friends of Cokesbury. As you may know already, Pastor Taylor has been reassigned to Rally Court United Methodist Church in Roanoke and will leave us at the end of June. As the chair of Cokesbury Staff Parish Relations Committee, I want to share with you that Reverend Gail Porias has been appointed by our bishop to become our new pastor effective July 1st this year. She is a Virginia Conference ordained elder and currently serves as the pastor at Mount Horeb United Methodist Church in Catlett, Virginia. She is a native of Western Pennsylvania and together with her husband, Julius, their family includes three daughters. Prior to attending seminary, she worked as a hospice nurse and hospice clinical manager for over 25 years. Pastor Gail plays the piano, sings, plays a little guitar, and recently has been learning to play the djembe drum. So with thoughts of uh, pastors changing with the fact that Jesus remains the good shepherd, no matter who the pastor of the church may be, I encourage you to rest in the joy of, of transitions, the, the joy of God doing a new thing. And let's just be silent for a moment as we continue to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for making us members one of another. It is a great mystery that we are your body but we praise you for it, for otherwise we would be so alone, condemned to live alone, to die alone. But you have given us one another in all shapes and sizes. And Lord, we know that we do not fit together all that well, but we pray that the puzzles of our lives may please and entertain you so that in the end we all add up to be the puzzle of your kingdom. Help us to live with the confidence of that kingdom, Lord, in the light of your Son's resurrection, so that when all is said and done, this may be said, they sure were strange, but look how they loved one another. And thinking of that love, Lord, each of us will now pray silently or aloud to you this day, lifting up our own joys and concerns. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to John in the 10th chapter, verses 11 through 18. Hear now God's holy word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thinking of Jesus as our good shepherd, the one who leads us, Please join me now in the singing of our hymn for today. It's hymn number 128 from the United Methodist Hymnal. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. If you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in our online bulletin. But otherwise, join me now over at the drums and sing with me as I play and sing. He leadeth me, O blessed thought.
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was on vacation with my extended family a few summers ago and decided that as a pastor, I should still probably go to church on a Sunday morning. So I googled nearby United Methodist churches. I picked the one with the least bad website and I announced my intention to the rest of the family. Now, when Sunday morning arrived, the only takers I had for church were my sister, my son, and myself. So the three of us loaded into my car and we left everyone to sleep in on their Sunday morning as we, the three of us, prepared to worship the Lord in glory and splendor. And the church was beautiful. It was situated right smack dab in the middle of a town, a town that will remain nameless for reasons soon to be proclaimed. And when we pulled into the church parking lot, we were immediately greeted by a cheerful couple dressed in their Sunday best. Now, our little trio, we ascended the stairs to the main doors leading into the sanctuary, and we were immediately bombarded with two things. The first was an oppressive heat wave that was wafting toward us from the chancel area, and the second was a slew of congregants who could smell fresh blood. Now, regarding the former, the air conditioning had apparently decided to quit the night before, and the design of the sanctuary trapped the summer heat inside, and we were going to be treated to a sauna-like atmosphere for the service. And regarding the latter, the group of people who, who almost pounced on us when we walked in, I couldn't really blame them. I mean, here we were looking like a, a nice little new family in town, and they were just so pleased to see people they had never seen before. Now, in that briefest of moments, I had a choice. In fact, I had a few choices. I mean, we could have just decided to turn around right then and there, get back in the car and drive to the next closest church, hopefully one that had air conditioning. But seeing as how I'm a pastor, I felt that would be a tad impolite. Which brings me to the main choice I had, which was to share whether or not what I do for a living. Now, there's something that happens when another pastor attends a church. Think if you were a mechanic and you brought your car to somebody else to get it fixed. If that mechanic knew you were a mechanic, it would change the relationship. Or if you were a doctor and you were feeling sick, but you went to another doctor, that doctor would treat you probably differently than other patients. The same thing holds true for pastors going to other churches. When that happens, people become, as my grandmother likes to say, beside themselves. I mean, they want to pull out all the stops, they want to find you the best pew in the house, and they want to be their very best, more so than usual. Why? I don't really know. I mean, it's not as if I, as a pastor, would ever come back on another Sunday. I have a job that quite literally requires me to be in a particular place at a particular time, a particular time nearly every Sunday of my adult life. But nevertheless, I had to make a decision to tell them or not what I did. Now, seeing as how I was on vacation, I decided in that moment that I really wanted to rest, and I wanted to let that church rest as well. So when the first person walked forward to shake my hand, and invariably they asked, of course, what I did for a living, I prepared myself to, to share with them that I was a, a librarian or a construction worker or the mid-tier manager at a sufficiently boring data company, when all of a sudden my son, who was all of three years old at the time, he stepped right in front of me, took the gentleman's hand, and declared, Hi, I'm Elijah, this is my dad, and he's a preacher. And so it began. 
Fifteen minutes later, having received a tour of the church building that included a forgotten church library, three sets of bathrooms, and a hallway filled with more pamphlets than I've ever seen in one place at one time, I found myself sitting with my sister and my son in what I was assured to be the very best pew in the sanctuary, and the three of us were completely drenched in sweat. Now, during the service, we, we stood for the appropriate hymns. We, we bowed for the requisite prayers. We, we, we did everything we were supposed to do. And finally, finally, we came to the time for the sermon. Now, I love listening to other people preach. It is so much of what I do, after all. And I don't get to hear a lot of preaching. So I settled in to hear what God had to say through this particular preacher on this particular Sunday. And the text was John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now that morning, the preacher waxed eloquent, eloquent about John's gospel in general, about the importance of the various I am statements from Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way and the truth and the life. The preacher made various allusions to Exodus 3, when Moses encountered the burning bush, who declared, I am who I am. It was all well and good, until it wasn't. You see, the preacher that morning decided to wrap up the pulpit proclamation by saying this. Jesus is the good shepherd who watches out for the sheep. And all of you, the preacher motioned, all of you out there are the sheep. You don't know what to do and what not to do, which is why you need Jesus. But I the preacher motioned to the preacher. But I am neither shepherd nor sheep. I, the pastor, am as, I am what is called the sheepdog. Now, I know that John doesn't mention the sheepdog in the passage, but I'm sure he just forgot to write that part down. As the sheepdog, my primary responsibility is to keep you all in line. My job is to nip at your ankles to make sure you know what you can and what you can't do, where you can and where you can't go. So listen to me and I will help you. That's my job. I will nip at your legs so you know what you can and you can't do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. So of course, at the end of the service, as my sister, my son and I were shaking hands with the delightful folk in that little town at that little church, every single one of them said, so preacher, that was a pretty good sermon wasn't it? The Church Universal has traditionally observed this, the fourth Sunday of Eastertide, as what we call Good Shepherd Sunday. And all three years of the lectionary cycle, this collection of readings for every Sunday, it is this Sunday every year that we read about shepherds and sheep from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, which, when you think about it, is actually kind of perfect for this time called life after Easter. It's, it's, a, it's a great message. Jesus returns to us as a shepherd. He finds us and Jesus will never ever let us go. We're given an assurance from the good shepherd today in scripture, just on the other side of rejection and resurrection, that we are loved, that we are cared for, and that we matter, not based on what we do or do not do, but what on, on, upon what Jesus does for us which to be clear is completely different from what I heard that Sunday morning when I was on vacation. Now, consider the sheep for a moment. The sheep cannot do much of anything for themselves or their situations. The only thing a sheep can do really is follow. 
And even that can be a very, very trying endeavor because sheep can become very distracted. And when sheep become distracted, they become lost. And a lost sheep, for all practical purposes, is a dead sheep. The only hope a lost sheep has in the world is that it will be found by the shepherd. And Jesus, the good shepherd, tells us exactly what he will do, how far he will go to save a bunch of dumb sheep who can't do anything for themselves. Jesus, quite simply, does it all. We read through scripture, the Old and the New Testaments, God gets all the good verbs. God is the one who does all of the acting, all of the action. But sometimes Jesus, in preaching at least, feels kind of like an afterthought. But Jesus warns us about what that looks like when it happens even here in this little text. He says, The hired hand who is not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. Jesus is rebuking religious leaders, people like me then and now, who neglect the people of God. Because discipleship is all about the admission of our condition. Now, we're sheep. We're dead in our sins. Discipleship is all about coming to grips with the fact that we have no power whatsoever to save ourselves. We have no power whatsoever to convince anyone else that we're worth saving. Just consider these three different facts. More than 18 million children in the U.S. right now live in food insecure homes. That means they're they not guaranteed to have a meal any day of the week. Or, for the first time since the 1960s, life expectancy in this country is not going up. It's actually going down. And finally, this past week, while people were celebrating or lamenting the conviction of Derek Chauvin, the, the police officer who mur murdered George Floyd last year, while people were rejoicing or lamenting, at that exact moment, a police officer in Columbus, Ohio, shot and killed a 16-year-old girl named Micaiah Bryant. I could go on and on and on. St. Paul puts it this way, not a one of us is righteous. No, not one. We truly are sheep without a hope in the world unless we have a shepherd who is willing to do for us that which we cannot do on our own. And thankfully, thankfully, that's exactly what we get in Jesus. God in Christ finds us in the desert of our mistakes, in the desert of our sins, in the desert of our death, not in the, the garden of our good decisions and the garden of our progress. God meets us right smack dab in the worst things we do, not in the triumph of all of our do-goodery. In the life of faith, it is all predica predicated on recognizing how lost we really, really are, how our lives really are out of our hands, and how if we are to ever live again, it will be entirely by the gift of someone else, a gracious shepherd who rejoices in slinging us over his shoulders and carrying us all the way home. Now, we can call the good shepherd a good shepherd because while the hired hand runs away at the first sign of danger or puts all sorts of unhelpful or unattainable expectations on us, Jesus remains steadfast. And Jesus does not merely care for the sheep within reach, but also gathers the whole flock together. Now, for all the talk in the church today about inclusion, you know, open hearts, minds, and doors, the most inclusive claim of the gospel isn't that we have open hearts and open minds and open doors. It's that Jesus has come to save sinners. Jesus has come to raise the dead. 
which sooner or later all of us are or will be. And that's the most important part of whatever this thing is we call church. It's about proclaiming God's grace imputed to sinners through the work of Jesus. If that's not the beginning, middle, and end of everything we do, then friends, we're not really doing much of anything. Because instead of making that profound proclamation, we are far more likely to be consumed by sheepdogs nipping at our legs, both inside and outside the church. We hear it from pastors, politicians, pundits, and everyone in between. We hear again and again, you are not enough. Or we hear things like, you need to work on your racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ethnocentrism. Stop using so much styrofoam. Go vegan, gluten-free, eat locally, think globally. Don't drink so much. Practice mindfulness, inclusiveness. Keep the Sabbath. Live simply. Practice diversity. On and on and on. We're told again and again and again what we have to do, what we must do. And frankly, all the stuff I just listed, all those things are good and fine. We probably should start doing that stuff. But they are not where we begin. If those things are anything, they are a response to what God has already done. A bishop, thankfully from another denomination, tells a story about how he used to be in charge, before he became a bishop, of recruiting for a local seminary. His job was to seek out those who felt called to lead the church, and he would interview them to see if they really needed to be in seminary, and he would end every single interview the same way, with a role play. He would say, pretend I'm not someone from the seminary, but that everything else in my life is true. I'm a 50-something, overeducated, occasionally kind, straight white guy. Now, tell me why I should go to your church. And the bishop tells a story that every single person throughout the years, each and every single candidate he interviewed, would mention something about the value of community. But then the bishop would say, well, I already attend AA and I have all the community support I need. So then the candidates would mention something about outreach. But the bishop would say, I'm actually a member of Rotary and I already help the needy. And then the, the candidates would make a point to emphasize the beauty of the music that this person could hear at church. But the bishop would say, I actually have season tickets to the local symphony. On and on and on. And he ends his story by saying that over all the years he recruited for that seminary, not a single candidate ever mentioned anything specifically about Jesus. The church is not in the business of societal rearrangement. We're not the paragons of community service. And we certainly don't hoard all of the world's musical prodigies. And church, churches may have those gifts. But if we are serious about being the church, then we only have really one thing to offer at all. And that's God's grace in Jesus. And for the church today, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We might think the main thing is convincing other people to adopt our positions on social issues. We might think the main, th the main thing is making sure that everybody falls asleep at night with a full belly. We might think the main thing is putting on the greatest performance possible every single Sunday. But those things are not the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. The main thing is Jesus. God in the flesh born to dwell among us. 
The main thing is Jesus, the good shepherd who never stops tending to the needs of the sheep. Friends, the only thing we've got that other groups don't is Jesus Christ and him crucified, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, for us, for the world. People can get everything they need except Jesus from other places and other people. And they might even be better at that stuff than we are. But we're in the Jesus business. That is, we are here to proclaim good news. Frankly, the very best news, that God has seen fit to rectify all that we've wronged. That we are loved in spite of all the reasons we shouldn't be loved. And that at the end of all things, we know how the story ends because we know Jesus. Jesus is, now, was, and forever will be the main thing. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. O God, whose Son Jesus is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls each of us by name, that we might follow where he leads, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. God, the good shepherd, has gathered us, the sheep, in this way. God has proclaimed God's word. God has called us by name, and now we respond to what God has done with the giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts, our thoughts, our prayers, but also with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering by. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts that we might continue to be a church that proclaims the truly good news that we have a good shepherd who goes after and finds us no matter how many times we're lost. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me now as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'd now like to offer this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, the God, of, the God who is the good shepherd of the sheep, help you to see, know, and believe that no matter how lost you are, God will never stop looking for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to, to learn more about what life after Easter looks like. And until then, go in peace, be well. Amen, amen, and amen.